bet they're really getting confidence now. everybody welcome back to another episode of cutty and the cooge we are here in upstate it's been a little cold and snowy so we know the cutty ain't happy about that <laughs> now i'm looking forward to uh hitting the south here in a few weeks yeah so the pod you know we'll be we'll be uh releasing a few episodes but we'll go blank for a couple weeks while the retiree takes his precious time down in Florida. Exactly. It'll be nice. And I'll miss the podcasting, but it'll be nice to get away. Yeah. So we are here with another great guest today. We are um, back in continuing on with our equine series. Um, and we are going to bring on Carrie Breon, who I've met through my work. She's a trainer of, you know, works with my boss. And so I've got the pleasure to knowing her a little bit over the summer. So Carrie, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on guys. Absolutely. So you're in Virginia. That's where you're located. Maryland. 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 That's right. Yeah. How's it down there? How's the weather? Not great. Uh, also cold, raining. It, it's just not quite cold enough to snow, but it's that just really dreary, nasty cold winter weather yeah. during the the winter winter months though you get to spend some time in florida right i do a bit yeah i actually i'm headed to florida on friday i have a runner on saturday on the big pegasus day at a uh, golf stream but i have an assistant down there with the horses i have stabled in florida and i probably did that wrong i probably should be the one in florida <laughs> yeah right right well okay so speaking of you know, where you're at now, let's take it back to the beginning. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about where you grew up, did you grow up with horses, um, and kind of what inspired you to become a horse woman? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I did not come from a horse family at all. My fat, my parents were not horse people. Um, I just, my aunt actually got me riding lessons when I was like five and I was a horse crazy little girl ever since then. And I did the typical like showing and a um, little bit of eventing and, and whatnot, hunter jumpers and stuff like that. And I loved it all, but it wasn't until I, I think I was 10 and my, my father went down the road. We, I grew up in Southern Lancaster County in Pennsylvania, and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, but um, there was a, racehorse farm two minutes down the road from me um Silmar Farm actually was the name Ronnie and Betsy Houghton and my dad asked if they'd have weekend work for a 10 year old <laughs> and that's kind of where it started I was um you know scrubbing water buckets and cleaning tack and it one thing led to another and they put me on a racehorse when I was 13 I learned how to gallop racehorses and I knew it was racehorses um, ever since that. And, um, I worked for them for eight or nine years. And then I went to college for, um, business and I was pole vaulting at the time, uh, to track scholarship and long story short, I, I was not a very sound athlete. I was always <laughs> injured. So I stopped pole vaulting and I transferred what is now home back to Westchester and, um, finished school at Westchester university and started working for Jonathan Shepard. 
And I worked for Jonathan Shepard for 11 years. That's when I got into the jump racing and I rode jump races a bit and did a little bit of everything. And then going on three years ago now, um, I started training on my own. Jonathan retired and this will be my third year going into my third year of training on my own. Carrie, I got a question. Um, so looking looking at your history a little bit, you know, and for our listeners, you know, being a jockey and a trainer, obviously there's a big difference and we kind of know that. But according to your bio, in, in 2010, it said you were, you schooled a hurdle and that decide, and, and right then and there you decided you wanted to be a steeplechase jockey. What does that mean? <laughs> Um, so I was actually out in a field galloping a horse in, at Jonathan's and it was a jumper. Jonathan obviously was dual purpose. I, I didn't really, I knew nothing about jump racing at the time. I was on a horse that was a steeplechase horse and he had two others in the set that were going up over the hurdles. And he told me I would just follow them. And I was like, okay, I guess. <laughs> and I, so I, I went up over the hurdles on a horse and I obviously had done a lot of jumping, like show riding and stuff, but it's totally different. And I, I don't know, it was that day I said, all right, jump racing's for me. And that yeah. kind of started it all. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, even to go back a little bit further than that, when you say, you know, from when you're at the beginning stage, when you went to that neighboring farm and they put you on a racehorse and then you worked there for eight or nine years, what did that work consist of? Yeah. I mean, so that was all flat racing. They did not have jumpers. And, you know, I started, like I said, scrubbing water buckets and cleaning tack and then learned how to gallop. And then actually my senior year of high school, I was on a work leave for the morning and I literally was an assistant trainer. I, I ran the stable and I, I mean, I got loads of experience working for them and, um, you know, kind of that solidified. I wanted to be in racing. I knew working for them and having that experience that, I definitely wanted to be in racing and I didn't even know what jump racing was at that time. So at, by, at that stage, it was just the flat racing. It wasn't until I went to work for Jonathan a year or two later after leaving there that um, I w was kind of brought into this whole new world, you know, that you can do both. And, it, you know, it's pretty exciting. So, again, just my ignorance in what you do kind of. I think too, also our, <laughs> our listeners, like yeah. I think our listeners, you know, yeah. aren't, aren't necessarily horse industry people. This is a new segment for us. For so, us. so we're asking you as the expert. Yeah. So yeah. when you, when you say flat races, I mean, I think everybody knows what that is. Um, yeah. But were you running on turf or were you running on dirt or both or, yeah, both. It's, you know, flat racing is flat racing. They run on turf, dirt, all weather, synthetic surfaces. Um, but the like the what differentiates them is it's flat racing. Some run short, some run a long distance, but it's flat racing. There's no jumps. So when you go to the jump side of things, all of a sudden you're running on the turf over obstacles. So that's like the divide. The flat racing, they run on the dirt, they run on the turf. That's all horse related. That's all their breeding, what they prefer, their movement. Some get over dirt better than turf and vice versa. Um, but that's all grouped together as flat racing. And then jump racing is just that, you know, yeah. hurdles. There's hurdles and there's actually two different types of jump racing. There's hurdle racing and timber racing. Timber racing is farther, three miles and up um, over solid fences, solid wood fences, like, you know, 
like fence, like literally post and rail fences and, and stuff like that. Hurdles are what you see if you see, watch Saratoga or watch any of our racing like that with the kind of the foam roll and brush in the back. That's a hurdle. So that's the jump racing side of things. And then, you know, the flat racing is out of the starting gate. Obviously, jump racing is not. It's from a flag, flag start. So um, that's the two, you know, that's some of the bigger differences. So now you, you, you know, you're a trainer now um, and, and have a really good career going. How do you, what's the difference between a flat race horse and a jumping horse? How, how do you get one to do the other or not? I, I answer this question all the time and, and it's a big misconception. They're not that much different. Every horse will jump. Every single horse in the oh. world jumps. It's a matter of how good they jump, right? But but they jump. It's not like you get a horse that doesn't jump. They're all capable of jumping things. So you weed out what can jump and what can't. Um, but flat horses, they're ra- they're still race horses. Whether they're running over jumps or running on the flat, they race. So they're trained very similarly. They have to have the stamina and the speed put into them to be racehorses. The jumpers obviously get a bit more stamina because they're going two miles, three miles, but you'd be so surprised at how the difference, there's just not that big of a difference in the horses there. You know, some people go as far as they think the steeplechase horses are like a different breed of horse. Like, no, they're all thoroughbreds. It's all the same as the flat racing. And a, a lot of them um, come off the flat track and go jumping or do both. Uh, you know, I have quite a few in my barn that might run over jumps in the spring and then turf season begins. And then they go back and run on the flat for a bit. And then they go back over jumps in the fall. So they're very interchangeable. I mean, not every horse, but for the most part, it's, it's, you know, very, very similar. And I don't train them that much differently. You know, it, it's, it, you'd be surprised at how similar they actually are. So that I, you you just answered my question, but I I was wondering if horses do both. But so if you have a really good speed um, horse that wins on the flat, does that translate to the jumps? So how, it depends on the, like how they're running. Like so, like a sprinter, like if they're running five furlongs, you would not think that that would be a jump horse because obviously jump horses have to run long yeah um but anything that's running over a mile and winning over a mile you know it's always worth a shot and some jump really well some don't really take to it and aren't that natural it's all about how natural and how easy the jumping comes to them really as far as how good they're going to be over jumps it's you know that's basically what it comes down to so as a jockey when you jump Okay, uh, like, do, do you have to tell the horse to jump or the horse knows to jump or is there certain no, things? I mean, that's do? the difference. That's the thing about hurdle racing. Like, it's not, you're not in a show ring. You're not riding around, counting your stride. These horses have to learn how to make their own decisions going at fast pace. And that's what we do in the morning schooling. They'll, you know, once they learn the gist, you do, you just, you go quick enough in the morning that they learn how to make their own decision because no, you, as a jockey, you're just there to hang on. Uh, you don't really, you know, you put them in a position, but you're going so fast that it's up to the horse. You're just kind of there as support. You kind of, you know, keep the bit in their mouth and are there as 
support, but no, you, you do not have a chance to counter stride down to the hurdle in Saratoga right. when you're going 30 miles an hour. You just hang on for dear life. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, <laughs> so when you, you know, going back to your story about the first time you basically just went over a jump by accident because he said, just follow those other horses. And you say, that's when you knew like, what was that experience like for you? Like, what about that? It was just the adrenaline. So like, I'm a pole, I was a pole vaulter. So you can imagine, like, I am an adrenaline junkie. Like I, I was going upside down on a fiberglass pole, <laughs> be, waiting for it to uncoil and throw me over a bar. Like, how ridiculous does that sound? So <laughs> I've always been an adrenaline junkie. Like I actually was a cheerleader believe it or not, early on, but I taught myself to do backflips. Like I'm just, that's, I've always been that type of person. So, you know, I did a lot of, I did a lot of sports, but it was always like, you know, I ended up a pole vaulter. Like I was a very fast sprinter at the time, but like, that's what I, I wanted to pull. Vault. I wanted to do something crazy. So obviously going mock 10 down over these hurdles on this, I mean, the horse I schooled up to this day, I remember his name, Royal Rossi. And he was just, he knew what he was doing. So they're not all that fun, but he was fun. And just to get that kind of taste of it. And I had ridden pony races and I'd ridden some amateur flat races and stuff. So I knew what the jumping, you know, I knew what the racing side of things was like. I was never going to be small enough to be a flat jockey. So this kind of just put it all in together. And there we were, you know? Yeah. Speaking of jockeys. So uh, just again for our listeners, Carrie, you you know, looking at your last two years, um, in, in 2021, you're the first U.S. handler to train a winner of a hurdle race in Ireland. Uh, also, in 2021, you had 105 starts, 14 wins, 15 seconds, 12 thirds. In 2022, you really blew it up. 207 starts, 41 wins, 26 seconds, and 31 thirds. So congratulations on these past two years. But why Ireland? What what's 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 about Ireland in in, in this racing? It was just very unique. COVID had hit. We weren't sure. I, I was still working for Jonathan. I went over with six horses to Ireland for a winter campaign. Um, because we weren't sure what jump racing was going to look like. COVID had hit very badly here. Their racing was still going ahead. Our racing was not. So we, you know, we bought all these new horses, brought them here and had nowhere to run them. And we kind of got the idea, we meaning owners and Jonathan Shepard at the time who I worked for, I went over there as his assistant. They were under his name. And then he retired unexpectedly January of 2021. And when he retired, um, he was on a temporary license. So like when he retired and gave up his license in America, they would not license him in Ireland. So I took over the license. So I was in Ireland when all of this happened with these horses. So I had people here uh, in America that got the horses out of Jonathan's farm, the owners that were staying with me, because it was all that's a story for another day, but it was very hush hush. And I didn't people in amongst the scenes didn't want me to know what was going on but obviously the owners are, were super loyal and we took the eight horses out of there and moved to fair hill all while i was in ireland um and i took over training those horses so i didn't come home until april and 
because I took over training those horses, it was me as the trainer and no one had ever really done that before brought horses over to run. So yeah, it made history winning. I won a flat race, a, a national hunt flat race and a um, hurdle race and first American to train two winners. So it's a very big deal. Irish racing over jumps is just unbelievable. It's way different than here. It's super, super competitive, you know? So I'm, I'm very proud of that. That that's a pretty big accomplishment. I think a lot of people will never have the chance. I obviously was very, I was very fortunate to have good owners that sent the horses over. It wasn't not a cheap endeavor, but yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that was a big deal. We're, I know in, in general, female jockeys are, you know, probably a minority in this horse racing. So were you the first woman or to do that as well? This was training. This was training. And I mean, yeah, probably the first, I mean, it, I was the first trainer ever to do it. So yeah, I mean, so yeah, that, yeah first exactly. woman as well. But. Well, congratulations on the wins, but also Thank on you. taking an probably immensely stressful situation and just running that with was a it. Very hard time. Yeah. That was a very, very difficult time. There were many nights in Ireland because of COVID. I couldn't travel back. If I traveled back, I was never getting back in the country and I had the horses there. So there were many unknown nights where I didn't know what was going to happen, but it all played out the way it was supposed to anyway. Yeah. You said, okay, I'm a trainer now. So here we go. Yeah. <laughs> or a head that trainer. That was fine. It was more everything at home. You know, it was very hard to do that um, from Ireland. It's, my sister was a huge help. She set the business up and my assistant Amber at the time um, took the horses out of out of the barn at where Jonathan was and and we got to Fair Hill and Niall helped with the stall. I mean, it was a group effort, It but it just all kind of came together at the right time. And like I said, we're here now, so it's worked out. Yeah. Yeah, it really has. This episode is brought to you by Therapeutic Horses of Saratoga. Therapeutic Horses supports retired racehorses in leading a peaceful, safe, and meaningful life by rescuing, retraining, and utilizing horses and therapeutic programs. THS partners with licensed mental health therapists to provide equine-assisted learning services. The mission of Therapeutic Horses of Saratoga is to rescue and retrain retired racehorses to become valuable partners with people engaged in therapeutic programs. If you are interested in learning more about the mission of this organization, head to their website, thsaratoga.org, or you can email them any of your inquiries, info at thsaratoga.org. So again, for our listeners and for me, for you know my personal knowledge, can you walk us through like, like, what is your, I know every day is different. I'm positive of that. But what is a typical work day for you? Work day. Alarm goes off at four. <laughs> I might hit snooze a couple times because I have very good help at the barn. I, I have, you know, I have great staff. I have two really great assistants and Heidi and Tatiana. So, you know, I normally get to the barn around five, five 30. They've already been there, you know, for a while. I kind of get, you know, one checks legs, um, you know, the other does medications and then I kind of get filled in. Sometimes I get texted on my way in. Sometimes it's not till I get there, but the girls will let me know if there's anything concerning I need to know or look at or whatever else. And, um, 
I still ride in the mornings, not every set, but I try to put myself on two or three sets a day just because I go crazy myself. I think if I didn't, wasn't riding horses, mm-hmm. we get there our first set right now with the lights, with it being dark, we, we go out at first set at six 30. Um, we ride all morning, you know, training just depends. It depends when we're done, depends on what they're doing and everything like that. But Normally we start at 6.30, we're done riding by 11, 11.30. Um, and then I normally have about at least two hours at the barn after we're done riding of just organizing things for the next day and for things coming up and making entries. And your phone never stops hopping. Like all the years where you're like on social media and just loving your phone and this and that, like I hate my phone now. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, the trainer life you know even when you go on vacation there's no such thing as a vacation because as you get bigger there's just you know there's so many different parts to the wheel and it takes so many people to keep it all going and I'm lucky to have a great team but yeah the days are the days are long you know the phone kind of never stops I, I try hard by five or six o'clock at night to be done with work on my phone. You know, I, I try not to answer too many calls after that, unless if it's, you know, something that I know is important, kind of trying to find that divide, but I'm very active on social media, which has gotten me a lot of owners, which is great. And I love to be very transparent as a trainer and whatnot, but that also takes up my day. You know, I constantly taking videos and posting online and stuff like that. So no, there's there's no such thing as easy days anymore. But you know, yeah. I am it, I do love it, so I am not complaining. But yeah, it's I've my business has grown so fast in such a short period of time that you know it's taken. There's there's definitely it's taken a lot to get used to it just so quickly. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another. That was a question I had when. So you said you work for somebody, but. As a trainer, can you work for multiple owners? Oh, yeah. No, I have I have a million owners. Like I have small syndicate owners that make up some of my syndicates have 30 to 40 owners involved in them. Now, granted, they're small shares, but I have syndicate emails that go out weekly giving updates on the horses. And that goes to every owner, you know, that even if they own 1% of the horse, they get the email updates. I try to do that weekly, you know, once a week or once every two weeks. And, um, oh yeah, I have, you know, I have multiple, multiple owners in the barn. So, so lucky that way. When you're looking for owners, um, obviously they probably come looking for you as well. Yeah. What, what makes a good fit for an owner and for you? I, that's a very much, you know, what, what makes a fit for me probably doesn't make a fit for the guy up the street. You know, it's obviously I meet with owners and we have a chat and they decide it's their money that they're paying me. So they kind of have that. I don't get to really pick per se owners. I mean, I might send an email to an owner and it's not so much that I try to get owners. It's, it's the jump racing side of things. I I try very hard to get some flat owners involved in jump racing and do the crossover, which I've been lucky enough to do, but look, it's, it's like any job. It's not just horse training. You know, if you get a good relationship with the owner, you know, if you hit it off or you don't, you know, you kind of know I'm big on social media. I had no for a fact that there are some owners in the sport of jump racing that just aren't with the times of social media and would never have a horse with me just because they don't agree with how I like run my business. They don't. And and I do have a few owners that say, you know, I'd prefer 
my horses don't be named on social media, which is absolutely no problem whatsoever. But a lot of them, for me, are on social media and love seeing updates on their horses. Um, but, you know, it's it's a personal preference, I think. it's I'm a pretty outspoken person. And I mean, I think sometimes owners are don't enjoy that, you know, but some love it. So it just depends, really. What, um, you know, and as far as your horses, so I understand that owners will come to you and say, Carrie, I 100% own this horse. I want you to be its trainer, but I'm sure you have some horses that are yours that you own that maybe other people own or no. Yeah, I don't have too many that I own. It's a bad business model. I was always told don't own your own horses. Um, I like I have my own. I have a horse that actually got hurt in Saratoga. It was my favorite horse when I worked for Jonathan and he came with me. His name's French Light. Um, and the owner, after he hurt himself, the owner actually gave him to me and he's going to live out his life with me. He's spoiled rotten and he'll be my stable pony and stuff. Um, but as far as racehorses go, you know, I have a couple owners that I might do little deals with where I might own like 25% and we do little deals, but, um, not very rarely. Um, I, I try to keep, I'm the train, I'm the trainer. You know, I try, sometimes I might buy a horse and syndicate it out. And I end up not owning any parts of it. You know, I let everyone else buy in and then, you know, rid my hands of being owner. You know, it just, it's not because I don't like horses. I obviously love horses, but it doesn't make sense. Horses are, you know, expensive. And from a business model, I, I try to just, I train them, you know. Yeah, that makes sense to me. What What is your schedule like? What, like, you know, you mentioned Saratoga. Do, do you hit all the... I mean, how do you set a schedule as a trainer? There's a jump race schedule. So, you know, it's, we know it's all up the, up and down the East coast. So, you know, I travel when that horses run, basically, you know, we, we know where the races are and my stable's big enough. We're at every race meeting for the most part. So it's a really a year round business then as far as it is. Cause I also train flat horses. So like right now there's no jump racing, but like I have a horse running tonight at Turfway Park and one running on Friday at Penn National and one running Saturday in Florida. So, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a little bit quieter this time of year, but it's not that, you know, it's not that quiet. Yeah. So going to, obviously, we mentioned your success earlier, and I don't know if this is something you can really put into words, but when you're watching the horse that you've trained and, and probably have the bond with and created a relationship with and, and you watch them race and ultimately win. Like, what is that like for you? If you can explain that. Yeah. I mean, look, I, there's, I don't think I can really put into words. I don't have kids, but I would say it's like watching your kid do something like really exciting, right? Like you're super proud and you know, some more than others, like kind of depends where they come from. Like I, I had one win in Saratoga last year. It was his owner's first Saratoga winner. He had never won a race in Saratoga. I picked the horse out myself. He was pretty cheap considering what he had now won. And he was my favorite in the bar. He was one of my rides every day. Freddie Flintshire is his name. And, um, you know, that was really special because just all those components coming together, it, you know, it just kind of depends. Um, but, uh, you know, you're always pr- like you love winning. You, you, 
I get way more enjoyment out of winning races as a trainer than I did as a jockey. And I think that's just because I put so much more work into it. I mean, I'm up every morning, you know, I, this is all I do really is, you know, I eat, sleep and breathe it and I love it. So, and I'm competitive and I, of course I love winning, but it's more, you love being successful and the horse is being successful. You know, you, you like to see that. So, and the jumping side of things, you see a lot of horses that might've lost their way on the flat and weren't really competing at a good level anymore. And then come jump racing and they get this new lease on life and you see them like really love it and like actually do better over jumps than they ever did on the flat. That's always really great to see, but yeah, they're like, you know, they're like my kids, I'd say like, you know, that's who I'm spend every single day with. <laughs> so you um, hit on something too. Like, so as a trainer, obviously you, you know, you got all these races coming up. You can't be in three different places at one time. So like the world I grew up or worked in, I should say, um, in athletics, you know, coaches watch tons of tape. Do you watch tape? on horse do you watch the video on your horses is, is that in anything that trainers yeah, I do I mean well yes and no like obviously I'm watching them run and I'll watch a replay but no it's not really I mean I might go back and watch and see like let me kind of pick apart their jumping a bit more or whatnot you know go back and watch a replay but that's more the jockeys that are watching the race tapes to kind of know you know, how a horse ran or how their, how their opponents ran last time out. I mean, I wouldn't say I never watch races. I definitely do, but yeah. it wouldn't be as much of an advantage to a trainer as it is the riders, I would say. Oh, okay. How much time after a race do you get with the jockey to talk about the race? Well, jump racing, my jockey works for me. So I talk to him all the time. That's okay. nothing. As far as flat racing goes, I mean... You don't get much, minutes, right? You know, yeah, like it's, but I think there's a lot less to say about a flat race, to be honest with you. You know, there's, you take out the jumping side of things and there's only so much they're going to say, you know, it, it's pretty simple. So. It shocked me when I first learned, like before I knew anything about horse racing, I had assumed like the jockey went with the horse and it shocked me <laughs> to know that like they just jump on that horse. Yeah, they don't even sit on them. No, exactly. I mean, obviously the jump jockeys are different. Like Parker Hendricks is my stable jockey. He's in every single morning riding out. So he knows the horses really well and whatnot. So jump racing is a little bit different to flat racing in that extent, but yeah. On that subject, what is the culture of like horse trainers? Meaning like, okay, in an office, there's obviously a culture in the office. Like what is it between in the back part of the horse trainers industry? Like what's kind of, I mean, that might be a complicated question, but is there camaraderie? Do you get to know other people? It's very different. Yeah. I mean, you have horse trainers from all over the world that train in America and it's very like the jump racing circle would be a bit closer just because there's not that many of us really. It's, it's a pretty small sport in comparison to flat racing Fly racing, I mean, you might have your friends, but everyone's kind of out for themselves. I mean, it's, you know, it's a sport. It's it's how people are making a living. Um, it's not really, you wouldn't necessarily feel all warm and fuzzy inside when you're, you know, out there, especially as a female competing against the guys. Like, you know, it's not that, I mean, I, I feel very respected. I don't, I don't play the woman card and I don't feel that it's really a thing at this stage anyway, but I'm just saying like, 
you know, you're not one of the guys, you know? So, um, from a jump racing standpoint, we, like I said, we're a little bit more, you know, I have a couple good friends that I like, whether they're trainers or not, they are trainers, but I would consider friends, you know, we obviously compete against each other, but we're friends, but yeah, it's, you know, at the end of the day, we're all competitors. So it's a bit of a tricky one to be like, you know, not many people I think are like really good friends doing it. So so you're more like tight knit with your team and you guys kind of just like right. go out, like do our, what you do and come back. And yeah, like our team is, that's where like the camaraderie really is, is, is what my stable and everyone that works for me and everything. Cause we're all working together for, you know, the same goal, which is winners and everyone, the barn is great when people are getting winners, you know, that's, and another logistical question, and I was, you know, able to visit you a couple times in this summer in your space in Saratoga. How do you know, like going for, from so many racetracks, like how do you know that that's your space? Like, do you rent that space? Are you assigned that space? Like for Saratoga, the jumpers just ship in there. That's just, the, they tell us that's where we go. And that's what it is like at most tracks. I mean, I can get stalls in Saratoga if I want to be there year round or, you know, for the whole meet, which I might do this year. We'll see. It depends how many flat horses I have. Um, but yeah. Um, but yeah, we just, we know they tell us. So. Gotcha. So Carrie, you um, obviously, as we mentioned, ha- have had a great last couple of years. Where do you see yourself? I know it's hard to predict the future, but where do you see yourself in five years? What's the, pinnacle for you in the business you're in i don't know because like i would have said an eclipse award and this and that and i've already done that (laughs) in the first year (laughs) you set the bar high you know i think yeah i I think probably what i'd love is just to get uh, right now i am sort of known on the flat and i'm just known as being like the queen of jumps racing which is great but I would love to be probably just as much respected on the flat and get some good, good flat horses to kind of take me that next level on the flat. It's all about, you know, the horses and where you're running and, you know, competing in places like New York and Kentucky, that those are kind of, you know, that's the Mecca. So I think I, I am where I'd love to be in jump racing. I, I don't need to do there's, I've won four of the five grade ones. So, I mean, I guess win that last grade one that I haven't won yet. But as far as just my career goes, it's definitely to get more noticed and get better horses on the flat. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Okay, before we let you go, I I feel honored we... We got your six o'clock slot, which you typically turn your... (laughs) You did, yeah. (laughs) So thank you for that. Um, But just for, you know, one last little thing here in the last couple of years being a head trainer, I know you've had a lot of probably amazing moments and memories, but what is one that particularly sticks out that you just will think about for the rest of your life? Yeah, um, obviously winning the race in Ireland is one, but I would have to say when the mean queen beat snap decision in the American grand national, that's our biggest grade one. Um, there was a lot of stuff, you know, talked about after she beat him at Belmont, um, that she wouldn't beat him the second day and she beat him twice. And that was that day. And, um, it just, it was, that was probably the one day so far of my career that just was is wow you know when i think about it so what'd you do to celebrate 
and big headache the next morning. <laughs> I, <was like> that <laughs> I can imagine. Oh God. Yeah. Love it. it was magical. And then obviously look, going to the Eclipse Awards and accepting an Eclipse Award my very first year of training. I mean, that's, you know, t- 2021 in general was just unreal. So good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Carrie, I, I, you know, from where you are now, you're off to a great, great start with it. And hopefully uh, it continues for you throughout your career. Now we'll, we'll be a big fan and we'll be following you along the way. And hopefully we'll have you back on Cutty and the Cooch sometime talking about some more successes that you will encounter. I would love to. Well, and, and this <laughs> year, uh, when you're up in Saratoga, we'll have to come by and, and say yeah, hi. Definitely. And, and check you out. Yeah. So. We'll definitely. See you in person. So, yeah. Thank you for taking yeah. the time to visit with us. Good luck. And um, we'll you. we'll see you at the next race. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, wherever you're streaming this podcast, if you would be so kind as to give us a subscribe and maybe even a review. In addition, you can find us for any updates on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is at Cuddy and the Cooge, Cuddy with a C, Cooge with a K. Or you can email any questions or submit any feedback to Cuddy and the Cooge at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.